Welcome to the Kennedy Beacon Podcast, a show about news that matters and, of course, is often left out of what the legacy media broadcasts and what's going on with Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s run for president. Now, today's show is quite pertinent to many of the issues brought up by Kennedy in The Real Anthony Fauci, the book he wrote, and his most recent book, The Wuhan Cover-Up. I'm Francis Scott here with Aaron Good and Nico House. Hey, guys. Hey, what's going on, Francis? Good to see you. Well, the title of today's show, Close Call, The Discovery and Closure of an Illegal Bioweapons Lab. Now, you might have heard about this. A Reedy, California code enforcement officer went out to just do her job one day, and what she found led to the seizure and closure of a laboratory owned by a citizen of China. Now, Adam Gary co-authored a report about it, published on January 31st, 2024, and on the Kennedy Beacon Substack. It's on there right now. And that report was about what was in the lab and then the obvious and potentially dire implications. Very scary thing. If you go read about it, it's an amazing report. Now, Adam's a writer, speaker, and consultant on a wide range of current affairs and a reporter for the Kennedy Beacon. Adam, welcome. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me back. Hope everyone's doing well. Hope we've all got our protective suits on as we walk (laughs) into this bio lab from hell. (laughs) It is amazing. And your story just enlightened me so much. I heard a little bit about it, but wow, what a report. I encourage everybody to go to Kennedy Beacon Substack and read all about it. We're going to listen to some of your interview with the code enforcement officer about whom Nico Biggs Creopolis, and you wrote in your story. But first, let's set the stage. We want you to tell us about Reedley, California, what kind of town it is, and whether it's the place that one might expect a bio lab like this to be located. Well, they always pop up where you least expect them, you know, ex-spouse and the rest of it. No, it's um, it's a small, mainly agricultural town in Fresno County. It's got a population of around 25,000 people. And um, it's it's literally the place you'd least expect this. And in many ways, it's one of the places where you'd least want it. Not that you'd want one of these things anywhere, but Fresno County and surrounding areas, is it's one of the main agricultural producing regions of the entire United States, one of the biggest in North America. And you can imagine the potential dangers that would arise from having a dangerous, illegal, and totally unregulated lab operating there. Not that the ones that are regulated and official are that much better, and we can get into that, uh, but it was it was astonishing to local people, and it was really astonishing to the code enforcement officer who you mentioned, Jessalyn Harper, who I had the great privilege of interviewing. She's one of these people that let's just say bureaucrats aren't very popular. And a lot of people that we would traditionally have thought of as public servants have today reduced themselves to an enforcer class. People who enforce the illogical and deeply inhumane diktats of the deep state bureaucracy. But if you want a feel-good horror story, Jesslyn Harper is definitely the star of it, because if there was anyone who could restore your faith in true public service, it was her, and she went above and beyond her call of duty, and as we'll see uh, once we hear from her, um, she's as passionate about keeping people safe from this as she is before her job, before her world was sort of turned upside down by her accidental discovery. Yeah, let's listen now. This is Code Enforcement Officer Jessalyn Harper describing to you what she found. 
In December of 2022, I received a complaint um, in code enforcement about a building that a couple of residents thought were being accessed. Um, it was believed that this warehouse was uh, abandoned um, and vacant, but they had seen vehicles parked out in front of it. So I went out to confirm the violation. And during this initial inspection, I found what is now considered the infamous green garden hose uh, that was protruding out the back of the building. And what had done, what had occurred is they had drilled a hole through the warehouse wall and fed this garden hose through the wall so that they could have access to water in the building. So it was a plumbing code violation, and I was able to make contact with individuals on site. Uh, I had absolutely no idea that I was walking into an illegal biosafety lab. And for those at home that might not know what a biosafety lab is, biosafety labs are labs that do studies and research, particularly with infectious agents. Um, this can be from viruses to bacteria to parasites. So I entered the building not fully aware of what was going on because before this, I hadn't even known what a biosafety lab was, let alone an illegal one. So we, um, I was able to gain access. They allowed me to come in to do an inspection. I also learned that they were making medical devices, which were pregnancy tests at that point of time. Um, was speaking with the individuals, the individuals that had opened the door and granted me access to do an inspection um, told me that they were not from the United States, that they were here working. Um, they were Chinese residents, nationals. Uh, they were able to communicate in English with me. And they took me to the back where this lab was. And when I walked into this room, I found approximately 36 freezers and refrigerators that were labeled with items such as um, human blood, HIV, uh, COVID, various uh, appliances. There was also a big plywood room that had been constructed and inside were approximately 1000 white lab mice. So very quickly, I realized something was wrong. And as I started to question them about the work they were doing, what the mice were for and so forth, they began the art of deflection. And most of the individuals that have asked me about what it was like speaking with these individuals, they were very deceptive with deflection. So they said, you know, we have the mice. Oh, what are you doing with the mice? And they would say, oh, we do research on them. I said, oh, wow, that's really cool. What are you guys researching? Oh, well, we don't do the researching. We just feed them and take care of them. There's other people that do the research and we don't know what they do. So kind of a deflection at that point of time, you know, trying to find out, well, who's the business owner? How do I talk to them? Well, here's a phone number in China and an email address and a name. Good luck getting a hold of them. Mm, 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 mm. <laughs> Adam, man, your article is the type of article that gets people in trouble. You know, <laughs> it's hard to believe. Really, really hard to believe what we're reading in this, this article. And even with the code enforcement officer explaining it. Uh, there's a lot to take in. So if you can, step us into the story a bit more and tell us how an illegal foreign-owned lab with at least 20 highly contagious viruses 
ranging from Ebola to malaria, was able to set up shop in Fresno County, California, and sell all of the things like pregnancy, t- of all things pregnancy tests, excuse me. It's, it's hard to understand uh, what all of these things have in common, but hopefully you can enlighten us. Well, it wasn't even the first lab that this man set up. It was the second. The first one was just up the road, and he had some trouble there, allegedly with uh, some sort of fire. And so he just moved down the street into this previously abandoned warehouse. Now, the man himself uh, is a guy called Shu, uh, uh, Z-H-U. Even though he called himself David He to U.S. authorities, he entered the country illegally, not through the southern border, but through the northern border. And he did so after fleeing Canada because there was a 330 million Canadian dollar judgment against him for intellectual property theft. Um, So this is just as much about border security as it is about biosecurity, as it is about failures of the bureaucratic state to actually keep people safe. Because the substances that were found and cataloged in this lab were some of the most um, dangerous pathogens known to humanity including the Ebola virus. One of the things that Officer Harper and her team found was a large refrigerator that didn't look as though it was operating very well. And many of the refrigerators were even operating at temperatures that weren't consistent with how you would safely store these pathogens in any case. And this refrigerator was marked Ebola. And this was incredibly frightening. This is on the CDC's list of substances uh, that are considered the most lethal and therefore are the most regulated. But it would appear anyway that these people were storing it at one time or another in this refrigerator. You had tuberculosis, you had herpes, you had HIV, you had uh, the virus SARS-CoV-2, which causes COVID-19. And that's just for starters. There's a long, long list. And those are just the ones that were cataloged by the lab workers themselves. There were many other vials containing unmarked specimens. And there were some that that were written in Mandarin Chinese which CDC officials, once they eventually got to the facility months and months later, didn't even bother to translate. And one of the weirdest things that we observed when researching this and speaking with Officer Harper is that the CDC didn't test a single one of the vials. They took the word of the illegal lab operators for it on the ones that were labeled in English. The rest were the, the guy that you said came from Canada, is he Chinese? He is Chinese. And he did this same thing in China um, as long as uh, 25 years ago, around the early 2000s. Then he went to Canada and then he went to California illegally. This is, I mean, just correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like uh, he's doing a job for somebody. Am I, am I, am I I crazy? Cause, cause you, cause how do you, how do you have a 30, a $300 million lawsuit and then just up and leave without problems get the business license required to lease out. I mean, it's very hard to do business in California. And yet he was able to do so despite his legal troubles and, you know, illegal migration. So I was curious as to what you think about that. 
Well, it's extremely hard to do business in California if you're doing it legally. But if this story proves anything, <laughs> that if you're doing it illegally, it's it's pretty easy until you're accidentally found out. And the, I think mm. there's a lesson in there somewhere. As to who was funding it, he had two companies whose financial records were examined by a congressional committee. And they found some really weird stuff, including large transfers of money from the People's Republic of China to these American bank accounts, including with Bank of America. As for why he wanted to do this, as for the motive, there's obviously the profit motive. This stuff, whether legal or illegal, is, I would say, unfortunately, very big business. Um, just the other day, we interviewed uh, Dr. Um, uh, Nass, who's um, an expert on anthrax and other pathogens, and she explained that some of these genetically mutated and modified mice have a street value you, if you will, of over $1,000 per mouse. And the substances themselves, assuming that they were real and stored correctly, those are very, very valuable as well, which shows you the topsy-turvy world of what's considered valuable. So one scenario that could be a possibility is that this man was just a ruthless businessman who had the know-how to acquire illegally and experiment with illegally all of these substances and with these rodents who were very maltreated, by the way. Um, the live ones were mingling with the dead. It was really quite disgusting. Um, they had to destroy the, all of the mice uh, because of that and for, for other reasons of public safety. So that's one scenario. Who did he work for? Well, Maybe himself, maybe he just thought, I'm going to try to sell some of this stuff to other people in this black market biolab ecosystem. He could have worked for a government. He could have worked for people contracted by a government. We might not find that out in the near future because while he was arrested, he was arrested for the most mundane of all things, which were these counterfeit and mislabeled medical tests. So that's an interesting story in and of itself. It was the FDA who pursued his arrest um, from uh, law enforcement because he was selling counterfeit pregnancy tests and counterfeit COVID tests. But the CDC and the FBI pretty much just washed their hands of the whole thing. Yeah, you know, I uh, it reminds when you think about the fact that he was able to get in here from Canada despite having a big lawsuit uh that or you know legal troubles that seem rather large and expensive that seems to be something that shouldn't have happened and additionally his treatment after the fact and the fact that they're not really get uh, <laughs> illuminating what really happened here that uh, it reminds me of things like the way the FBI uses people, uh, makes informants of people, you know, the, the terror factory, uh, that book mm -hmm. on that subject. I mean, it's very strange to me uh, that, that this would happen. It does not seem to be, I mean, when you look at who, who is, who are the people that we know did not function like they were supposed to, the, whoever let him into the country, and then the follow-up to the investigation of what was actually going on there. And those are on the, American side. So I, I find that really fascinating. Now, the, story add, Aaron, the failure yeah. of the media, the media, yeah, exactly. Like, a dog with that doesn't bark here. Xenophobic, xenophobic, xenophobic stuff that they've been putting out lately. Why all of a sudden shy away from this story when the people's Republic of China is involved allegedly? Yeah, it's, that is, is interesting. So I guess this, this, uh, it shows how anybody could set up a lab like this in the U S and that should disturb us, but it also shines a light on how difficult 
uh, or basically impossible it is for government agencies like the FBI or the CDC to, to deal with this, although it doesn't quite explain why it's so hard to deal with. That's that that's a mystery, I think. Can you break this down for us? Because uh, the the amount of incompetence, if that's what it is, in the bureaucracy here is is staggering. But the other alternative is that it's not incompetence. And if so, what do, what do we even make of this? Mm. Well, let's let's start with the FBI, which was one of the first federal agencies that Officer Harper contacted. And unlike the CDC, who wouldn't even answer the phone calls of Officer Harper and her colleagues and occasionally hung up on them and the few times that they did pick up, the FBI did respond. They searched through everything and then they left saying that there's no case and that they're not interested because, drumroll, there were no weapons of mass destruction. Remember that phrase? Uh, found in the lab, which itself is very strange because experts in the field of bioweaponry as early as the late 1960s in the midst of the Vietnam War, they determined that pathogens when released to the public in the form of bioweapons are actually more deadly and they're cheaper per kill than hydrogen bombs. And so if this stuff was as lethal as it could be if it was stored correctly, in which it may have been even if stored incorrectly, you had a potential for a huge epidemic, pandemic outbreak of lethal diseases from this lab. And in fact, one of the scientists who was experimenting with the mice told local authorities that he and his children became ill just after he started um, his uh, encounters with these mice. So that is a potential community transmission or leak already. And so because the FBI didn't find, you know, guns, bombs, and traditional weapons, they weren't very interested in it. Uh, now, the CDC, as I was saying, had no interest at first, and this was a source of tremendous frustration for the local authorities in Reedley and Fresno County. And so after all the, the hang-ups and all of the non-answering of the phones, they contacted their local congressional representative, Jim Costa, and he responded immediately to his credit. He got the CDC down there, albeit in months, five months around after the initial discovery. So it was Jessalyn Harper found the place accidentally in December of 22. It was in early May of 23 when the CDC begrudgingly trudged down there. They were, they were there for uh, two days, around two days. And they tested nothing. They translated nothing. And then once they were done, they said, well, it's it's your problem now. They kicked the can back down the road to state and local authorities. And so far as they were concerned, that's it. Uh, the, the congressional report that came out about this subject in November of 23 um, was quite revelatory in many ways. And Congress, did, when they were questioning Mandy Cohen, the relatively new head of the CDC, they asked her about this. Several representatives asked her about this. And she just took a very blasé, lackadaisical attitude towards it, saying, oh, we didn't find any of the substances we would consider dangerous there. But how do you know if you didn't test them? And that was one of the questions that came up. So the CDC didn't care. The FBI actually found weapons of mass destruction, in my opinion, because I would say these pathogens 
are that destructive. And many people, most in this field, would agree. Why would our government spend so many billions on this? They only spend things of that caliber when they're weapons. And this really fits the bill, literally so. So that was the FBI's response. The CDC's response was even worse. And in her extended interview, uh, Jesslyn Harper told us that of all of the agencies she worked with, the federal agency that was the most frustrating was the CDC. She put it down to systemic failures. It could be, it, well, it definitely is that, and it could well be something beyond that. Because mm-hmm. even if you're systemically hand-tied and inept, to even not be curious or to say that we need to change our regulations and methodologies to stop this from ever happening again, they didn't even say that. It's just sort of everything is fine, nothing to see here. That was their attitude. Yeah, yep. so I want to... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Francis. No, I was going to say you have to you have to wonder about the phrase willful blindness. That's it. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. 100%. No, yeah, I the the other side of the story, right? The willful willful blindness that Officer Harper mentioned talking about the pregnancy tests that were being packaged at that facility. I just want to bring it back to this partially because what well, we know that RFK for example just came from a party who champions reproductive rights and protecting women in such a way. Uh, also came from a party, once again, that's been actively xenophobic and anti-China and very much so use every single opportunity that they can to fear monger specifically about the, the China invasion and China taking over the world and the, the dangers that China's handling, quote unquote, of COVID and that bio lab presented us. And yet the party has been silent. The, the media heads that basically represent that party have been silent. Joe Biden himself. Uh, and I would say probably the State Department, you would expect the statement about this, right? I mean, they were tripping off of Chinese blimps that actually weren't Chinese spy blimps. So you would think that this would raise some red flags, considering once again the Chinese, the China Republic is involved. So what do you what do you make of that? Just the fact that the the the, the powers that be that generally are extremely xenophobic are just completely ignoring this story from the politicians to the media. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head. We're living in this kind of weird universe where people are blamed for what they don't do, and they're either ignored or exonerated for the bad things that they do do. And I think that a lot of people would stand to get embarrassed by this if the story got the traction from the legacy media that it ought to get from all media. And to be fair, even much of the alternative media hasn't paid too much attention to this. Officer Harper said that it's her view that she suspects Suspects that there are certainly more than a handful of these operating, and the mm. public would rightly be deeply concerned if illegal labs operating with Ebola and HIV and COVID and extremely lethal forms of influenza were in their backyard. And by the way, not only was this near residential areas, but it was very near the town's water supply. It was near schools. Um, it was. It's just horrific. And so you you absolutely are seeing this willful blindness you know the monkey with the hands on the eyes on the nose on the mouth on everything maybe that's just because he doesn't want to catch one of the diseases in the labs and he doesn't (laughs) have the right ppe as as they used to call it but it is funny because 
the China angle is interesting because we have someone whose companies in China were known to be tied to the Chinese state. For all we know, he still is. That's what an indictment ought to explore. But he was indicted over the tests rather than the pathogens. And of course, the tests, those, those aren't a laughing matter because as Officer Harper told us, they tested the pregnancy tests and they only had a 22% accuracy rate, which is astonishingly bad. It's absolutely terrible. And people could make life-changing for the worst decisions because they're relying on a test that's totally... They should just inaccurate. use astrology. I feel like that would be more accurate than a 22% pregnancy. <laughs> exactly. yeah. It's literally worse than a coin flip. And it's even more shocking when you read in your piece and learn, and I'd love to hear if Officer Harper's full, you know, your full interview with her is going to be posted online somewhere. So please let us know if that's happening. Please do it if you haven't done it yet. But also, when we talk about these humanized mice, these potentially $1,000 a mouse mice, and then the dead ones that people, workers in the lab were told, hey, just throw away the dead ones in the dumpster. We're talking about terrible pathogens in this lab. The California Department of Toxic Substance Control saying, hey, we don't have the money to do the cleanup. So Officer Harper telling you about the 3.8 tons of what she calls assets that were just incinerated on site. That is stunning when you hear, okay, our authorities knew it was going on. A couple of them did, you know, maybe a month, maybe a day or two of investigation. And then they're like, yeah, just burn everything. Like that's <laughs> stunning. Could it be at all? I mean, there's no way that this stuff was okay to just burn and release into, like you said, the groundwater, the air, everything. Well, to, to be fair, the, the burn was supervised by state authorities and that it, it was done in a way that, for all we know, was clean, was official and all of the rest of it. The scandal there, though, again, the see, because as, as Dr. Merrill Nash, whose interview with The Beacon will be out uh, in a week or so, uh, she explained that the CDC's responsibility was to take custody of these substances, test them in a secure CDC lab and then dispose of them far away from the actual site where they were found. And they didn't do that. They left a, a, a very, very small town with limited resources in a medium-sized county with limited resources uh, and a state of California that has problems of its own that we all uh, know about. They, re they, they, It was a dereliction of responsibility, and that's me speaking, not anyone else, but when you have these pathogens and a federal agency whose sole duty is to protect people from diseases. They're the center from disease control. They're not the center for ignoring diseases. But but that's really what, what they did. And they 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 put a, a great responsibility on the shoulders of Officer Harper, who rose to the challenge, and others of her colleagues. And I think it's commendable what they did, but it's also condemnable what federal officials did who have large budgets, who have the infrastructure. Uh, I mean, uh, Dr. Nash also told us a story about a man in Europe who was uh, experimenting with drug-resistant tuberculosis, and the CDC, through its power, actually arranged for him to be arrested overseas. So if they're able to arrest people overseas, yet they're not able to actually take custody of, of pathogens in California and bring them to a regional CDC lab, it really does just beg a belief. What are these institutions for? 
if if they're not there to protect the people from these labs that are doing experiments with which a former CDC director himself, uh, Dr. Robert Redford, not to be confused with Robert Redford, the actor, Field, but yeah. he said just a few years ago that these so-called gain-of-function experiments where they take pathogens and they increase their virulence, they make them more transmissible, increase their morbidity and mortality factors. He said not a single uh, effective vaccine, not a single therapeutic, not a single product of any benefit to the human condition has ever been made as a result of gain of function studies. He said that these experiments should stop. Other respected doctors throughout the world have said the same thing. It's big business, though, and it's very dangerous, but we should call it what it is, which is a bioweapons program that has no relationship to anything that is palliative or even somewhat beneficial to the human condition. Unless killing is your business and that business is always good, then you really, really ought to say enough is enough. As a former CDC director himself said, no conspiracy theorist he. Adam Gary. On behalf of my co-hosts and colleagues at the Kennedy Beacon, I thank you for your time. And I want to encourage our audience to check out Adam's story at the Kennedy Beacon Substack and like, share and subscribe to the excellent reporting and the original and thought provoking columns you will find there. And join us next week for a new episode of the Kennedy Beacon podcast.